0: Ecclesiastes chapter 9, Solomon seems to pick up where he uh, left off at the close of chapter 8. In uh, the the closing verse of chapter 8, Solomon admits his inability to make sense of the mysteries of life. Look at it. Uh, There, verse 17 of chapter 8. Then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, farther, though a, a wise man think to know it, Yet he shall not be able to find it. Even though he endured many nights without sleep, trying to, what he called, find out the work that is done under the sun, in the end, Solomon admits that it was a hopeless endeavor. He just couldn't figure, he could not figure out the workings of God. And we talked a little bit about that uh, our last time together. But even though he couldn't figure out everything, Solomon did figure out a few things along the way. A few spiritual truths that seemed to be of value to him. And one such truth... Was that regardless of what comes their way, the godly are secure in the hand of their master? Look at the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 9. For all this I considered in my heart, even, am I? Yeah, I'm good. Even to declare all this that the righteous. And the wise and their works are in the hand of God. And so Solomon understood that. He was able to come to grips with that truth. And then he passes along another truth that um, is impossible to discern. The way God feels, or excuse me, the truth is this, that it is impossible to discern the way God feels about someone by what happens in their lives. Let me, let me read it and then we'll, I'll say a little bit about it. The end of verse one, no man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. In other words, we can't look at someone's life Something something bad, something tragic comes into their life and automatically draw the conclusion that they're not right with God. Nor can we make the declaration that if they're just cruising, that they're right with God. We cannot make that claim based upon what we see going on in someone's life. And then Solomon says this at the beginning of verse 2, All things come alike to all. In other words, the righteous endure adversity and enjoy prosperity as do the wicked. The New Testament puts it like this. it, it, It rains on the just and the unjust. Again, look at it, verse 2. All things come alike to all. Such was the case with David and Nabal. One was righteous, David. One was unrighteous, Nabal. But yet, they were both rich. They both had a lot. Both Joseph. And Haman, Joseph being the good guy, Haman being the bad guy, both of them were favored princes. They both enjoyed favored positions in the government. Ahab was killed in battle, the same as Josiah was killed in battle. So, listen, the standard for measuring someone's relationship with the Lord is not their outward circumstances. And listen, if there's one person's life in the Bible that ought to teach us that, it's the life of Job. I mean, just read the opening chapters of of the book of Job. And I don't know that anybody has ever had to endure what Job had to endure. Yet even the devil knew that he was a righteous man who loved God and hated evil. And yet he had to endure all of these things. And if if we weren't aware of of what the Bible says about Job, we would look at that, we would look at his life and say, wow, what did he do to make God mad? But in the end, it wasn't anything about Job. You remember the, uh, this just came to mind, you remember the The man born blind, I think it's John chapter 9. And so the disciples ask, okay, God, who sinned? Was it this guy who sinned, or was it his parents who sinned? Because if you're going to be born blind, it's got to be the result of somebody's sin. And in the end, Jesus said, neither of them sinned. He was born this way so that God could get glory through his life. And so we can't look at the outward circumstances of someone's life and determine whether or not uh, they're right with God. Now Solomon goes on in this chapter to talk at length about another event, as he calls it, that takes place in every man's life, whether he be righteous or wicked. Whether he be good or bad, whether he or she be religious or non-religious, and that is the event called death. It happens to 100% of people. It's the one thing we all have in common. One day, we're going to die. Now, not many people enjoy discussing the topic of death. I'm one of them. But it's in the book. We're going verse by verse, so we got to deal with it. And the truth is, I mean, many people try and avoid the subject even to the point of not saying the word altogether. And so we use all kind of euphemisms like Passed away. We don't want to say they died, or they're dead. We don't like that, so we say they passed away, or they went home to be with the Lord, or any number of other flowery phrases that that are common today. Simply because we don't want to say death or died or dying. Perhaps that's why Sir John Betjeman wrote in his poem, Graveyards, he added these two lines, Oh, why do people waste their breath inventing dainty names for death? Like Solomon, who was... Facing his own mortality as he penned the words we've been studying for the last several months. We should not shy away from the subject of death. But we ought to face it head on. And we're going to do that tonight because our text demands that we do that. And and in so many words, here's what Solomon tells us tonight. Deal with death. It's a reality. Deal with it. You're not going to escape it. Nothing's going to change it. It's going to happen to us all. Look at verse 2. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and to the unclean to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not we would we would would maybe equate that to those that go to church and worship and those who don't go to church and worship as is the good so is the sinner and he that sweareth is he that feareth an oath this is an evil among all things that are done under the sun that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil and madness is in their heart while they live and after that, they go to the dead. As I said already, death is, is not a subject that, that many people like to deal with. Truth of, of that fact is something I've learned over, over the years uh, as I've conducted funerals. Now, I don't know how many funerals I've conducted. It, it's been many, 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 many funerals uh, since I've been on the, the ministry staff here and, and been pastoring. But I'll tell you, people become uncomfortable at funerals. I mean, you can see it. It's easy to spot. They're, they're looking around and they're, I mean, they're fidgeting and they're looking at this and they're, I mean, they're doing everything they can. They're on their phones. They know they've got to be there, but they're doing everything they can not to have to face what's going on. I mean, the service hasn't even started in some cases and they're already wanting to get things over. Uh, get over with so they can go back to whatever it was that they were doing before their attendance at church or the funeral home was required. I mean, I, I've been told by an, any number of families, hey, keep it short. Well, they don't have to worry about that. I, my funerals are always short. But many times they say that because they don't like the environment. They don't like being in the company of death. And there could be any number of reasons for that, but I think think the one thing that, that makes a lot of people uncomfortable when they come to funerals is that they have to face the reality that they really aren't in control of their own lives. That person in that box tells them that. They aren't in control. They're not the captain of their own soul. They don't determine their own destiny. Death is something that happens to all of us. The truth of the matter is none of us are in control of our lives. God is in control. And as Paul declares in Hebrews nine twenty seven. He has scheduled our appointment with death. And listen to me, that's one appointment that you will keep. And I will keep and we will not be late. It may be the one appointment in all of our life that we're not late for. We'll be right on time. It's going to happen. Somebody asked my wife. I don't know what the... What I had been doing, they found out I was doing it, and maybe it was riding my, my bicycle to Hooker or Gaiman or whatever, I don't know. But anyway, they asked her, aren't you afraid that your husband's going to get killed? And her answer was simple. He's a police officer, he rides his bike on the highway, and he rides his motorcycle all over the country. If he's going to die, at least he's going to die doing something he enjoys. She's true. it's right. Listen, I don't want to croak on a piece of steak. Listen, I'm going to die. I want to die doing something I enjoy doing. Preacher, sure you're morbid. Hey, I'm just trying to bring a little levity tonight. Jeez, who wants to come to church on Wednesday night and hear a message on dying? Eh. Woohoo. Yeah, hey, I was at church last night. Oh, it was awesome. Our preacher talked about dying. Here's what Paul said: It is appointed. It is appointed unto men one after that the judgment, and that is not Proverbs three seven. I missed that. That is Hebrews nine twenty seven. This appointment with death is illustrated in the legend of the merchant of Baghdad who sent his servant, uh, servant to the market. And when the servant returned, he stumbled into the room began telling his master what had happened. And he told him how that, that in the market he was bumped by someone in the crowd. And when he turned around to see who it was, he saw that it was death. And he said, death made a frightening gesture toward him, and at that point he turned and ran. The servant then begged his master to give him his fastest horse so he could flee into the distant city of Samarra and hide himself from death. The master lent his servant his horse and off the servant rode as fast as he could. Later that day, the merchant of Baghdad was at the market himself. And he saw death standing in the crowd. And he approached, as he approached, he asked why his servant had been so frightened earlier that morning. Death replied, I did not mean to frighten your servant, though I was quite surprised to see him in Baghdad. For I have an appointment with him later tonight in Samarra. We all have an appointment with death. We don't know when it is. God does know what it, where, when it is. No matter where we are, it's going to happen. Death is just equal in that way. But where death listen to me tonight, where death is not equal, is in where it leads. For the saved, it leads to eternal glory. For the lost, it leads to eternal damnation. We often speak of death as, as being the end, and, and we do so with the understanding that it is the end of life as we know it on this earth. But listen, as far as eternity is concerned, death is just the beginning. It's either the beginning of of an eternal life with God in heaven, or it's the beginning of an eternal life in hell without God. Sadly, many who are lost, who've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, don't understand that concept. All they see is that good, godly people die just like wicked, ungodly people die. So if in the end you're going to die anyway, then to their way of thinking, why rob yourself of the pleasures of sinful indulgence while you're living? That's why, as Solomon says in our text, they are full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, because their mindset is this, hey, I'm going to die, you go to church all the time, you're going to die, hey, if we're both going to die, then I'm just going to live the way I want to live. But what they don't understand is where death without Jesus leads them. Because death is not the end. It's the beginning of life eternal. In only one of two destinations tonight, church. Heaven or hell. Solomon goes on to explain in verses 4 through 6 that with the end of life, comes the end of hope for the wicked. Look at it. For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they shall die. But the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Death means there are no more, listen, there are no more opportunities to repent. And I'm just going to tell you tonight, if you're here and you're not sure if you died right now, you would go to heaven. And you need to get that taken care of tonight. The end of this service tonight, we would love to have the opportunity to open the Bible and show you how you can be saved and know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. Because after you die, there aren't any more opportunities. It's not like you get a mulligan, there are no do overs. It's done. And so the time to make sure that you know you're going to heaven is before you die. Amen. And listen, I have no joy in preaching a message like this. But again, if you're going to go through the Bible, as Pastor Tyler has explained, if you're going to go through the Bible verse by verse, you can't jump over a thing. You can't move around things. And as unpleasant as this is tonight, if it results in somebody coming to know Christ as their Savior, hallelujah, there won't be anybody here who regretted coming to church on Wednesday night, especially those who are lost and need to to be saved. But let's not forget that death means the end for the saved as well. it means no more opportunities for soul winning once you die you're not going to be able to talk to that loved one about jesus once you die you're not going to have the opportunity to talk to that coworker about jesus you're not going to have the opportunity to talk to that friend about jesus if you're going to talk to somebody about jesus you need to do it now while you're still living It means no more opportunities for service. Listen, if you're going to get busy for God, you need to get busy now. None of this, well, one of these days when I get some things all, when I get my plan, my my schedule all together, I get my life together, I'm going to start serving the Lord. No, start doing it now. Because you have no guarantee of tomorrow. So serve God today. It means no more opportunities for anything. No soul winning, no service. And so we better live for God and serve Him while we can, because while we're still living, there's hope. Look at it again. For to Him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. In other words, while there's life, there's hope. That, that's the purpose for the proverb that says a living dog is is better than a dying, a dead lion. The lowliness of a dog does not even compare to the nobility of a lion, but noble or not, the lion is dead while the dog is still alive. That's what Solomon is saying. See, it doesn't matter who you are, while you're living, there's hope, and you need to take advantage of that. Especially if you don't know you're a Christian. If there's never been a time in your life when when you understood that you were a sinner and that you cannot save yourself, but that Jesus died so you could be saved, and now God is offering you the free gift of salvation for whosoever shall call upon his name shall be saved. Listen, you you can't get to heaven because you were baptized. You can't get to heaven because you're trying your best to be a good person. You can't get to heaven because you went to church all your life. You can't get to heaven any other way but by Jesus. And those that are in here tonight and they know Christ is their Savior can take you back to that that time. They may not know the day or the month or the year or the time. They may not know any of that, but they can take you back to a time in in a church service or in their living room or across the, the, the table at a restaurant or wherever, when somebody open the word of God and show them what I just told you that they're a sinner and they can't save themselves, but Jesus can save them and will save them if they'll call on His name, they can take you back to that moment in time because listen, when you met G, when you meet Jesus, you'll never forget it. You'll never forget it. And so, if you're here tonight, you're trusting in anything other than a moment like that in your life, you need to get saved. So, well, Pastor, so many people here think I already am. Well, they thought my wife was too. She married a preacher, she's on a church staff. And one Sunday morning, during the invitation, she's over at the altar, and man, she's just torn up. I'm mean, thinking, wow, I don't, I don't know what, what her burden is. I don't know what's going on. She finally gets up, comes sit beside me, and she says, honey, I just got saved. <laughs> Woman, you can't get saved. You're married to a preacher. She got an incredible testimony. Because for all those years, For all those years, she was trying to earn God's love because she was never shown love growing up. And she wasn't convinced God could love her. And so she did all of these things, trying to be good and being in church and being in the ministry and going to Bible college, trying to be good enough for God to love her and accept her. And that morning, it dawned on her that she can't do that. And she said, I'm done. I'm going to trust Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Amen. I'm glad you did. Listen to me tonight. While you're living, there's hope. Thank God for that. In verse 7 through 10, Solomon encourages us to do something else, which is perhaps really the best way to deal with death. Well, How should I deal with death? Here it is. Just live life. Just live life. Listen, we don't know how many minutes are in an hour or how many hours are in a day, but what we do know is how many days, or what, excuse me, we know how many minutes are in an hour and how many hours are in a day, but what we don't know is how many days are in our lifetime. Taking that into account, we should follow Solomon's advice and enjoy life while we have it. This chapter, chapter 9, is the first, fifth chapter in which Solomon has encouraged us to enjoy life. He did it in chapter 2, he did it in chapter 3, did it in chapter 5, and he'll do it again in chapter 11. And there are some specific things which Solomon encourages us to enjoy about life, things like eating. Can I get a witness right there? Amen. Eating. Look at verse 7. Now you're coming alive. I like it. Go thy way. Eat thy bread with joy and drink thy wine with a merry heart. See, there, 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 are, there are even cheat days in the Bible. For God now accepteth thy works. In, and this is, this, this is interesting. In every passage that Solomon uses to encourage us to enjoy life, he mentions eating. I love it. Today I was asked the question, if, if, if you had to eat your way out of any food, what food would it be? I and mean, that was a no-brainer for me, it's ribs. Absolutely. Mmm, love me some ribs. And if I had to eat my way out of a food, it would be ribs. I think the thought in this verse, though, goes beyond the mere consumption of food to the enjoyment of time spent with family around the table. You see, in Jewish culture, the evening meal was a very important time for the family. In American culture, yeah, not so much. I mean, it's difficult to even find a family who actually eats together in the evening. I'm not saying there aren't any. There may be some here, and, and I hope so. But they're either sharing their meal with the television or they're eating it on the go in the car. That's the the society we seem to be living in. Solomon encourages us to enjoy life by enjoying time with our family around a good meal. Sadly, we probably didn't do as good at this as we should have when our kids were growing up. It seemed like they were running to a ball game or running to a practice or we're running to a church service or we're just running all the time when our kids were growing up. But I can honestly say now, tonight, as I stand here, now that our kids are grown, I think Katie would agree with this. Kelby's here, I think he'd agree with this. Pastor Tyler would agree with this. Some of our favorite, some of our most enjoyable family times now are around the table. Until the kids start talking about things they did while they were young. And you go, la, 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 la. (laughs) We don't want to hear it. Especially their mama. She'll go, ah! You did not do that. Oh, yes, I did. Like the statute of limitations is gone, so. (laughs) Eating. Enjoy life. Enjoy time with your family. And then living. Look at verse 8. Let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Wearing white garments and anointing oneself with with, uh, wearing white garments. And anointing oneself with ointment was a practice reserved for special celebrations such as births and weddings and various festivals. And it seems as though Solomon is saying here that you ought to live every day as though life is a celebration. Now, some might ask, well, why should I rejoice? What do I have to rejoice about? You've you just taken the last 35 minutes to tell me I'm dying. And to that, Solomon would say this, exactly. That's why you should enjoy life. Brother Gary, that's why you ought to get on that Harley if it'll start. All right. Get on that Harley and ride it every sunny day because you just never know. That's why you ought to spend time with your kids because you just never know. Well, Bridget, why why should I enjoy life? You're talking about dying. Because you're going to die. And so get everything out of life that you can get out of it. Verse 9, he talks about loving. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life, of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity. For that is the portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Now, that is a very interesting verse. Very interesting words because they're coming from a man who had many honeys and many honeymoons. What does the Bible say was the downfall of Solomon? His many wives that turned his heart towards strange gods. Now understand this tonight. Just because something is mentioned in the Bible doesn't mean it's condoned by God. It's just stating the fact Solomon had a lot of wives. God wasn't about that at all. And so now Solomon has pretty much wasted his life. He's coming to the end of his days and he's come to this conclusion. You need one woman. Not a bunch of them. One. One. I soul, why would you want more than one mother-in-law? See all these brooms standing up? My mother-in-law was parking her car like that many years before this broom thing came up. Love the wife of my youth. Yes, I do. I might need a ride home. <coughs> Working, verse 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. I read recently that a man or woman of 50, having worked consistently since high school, will have put in 56,000 hours of work. That's a lot of hours not to be happy. In spite of where we work or what we do, we can always find something to be thankful for in our work. The right attitude when it comes to work can add years to your life, but more importantly can add life to your years. So let me just share this verse with you. Here's the right attitude when it comes to life. Let's read it out loud together. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Let's read it again. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it.